Welcome to the Live Your Vision podcast. On episode 44, I had the great opportunity to talk to Chris Lindahl, who has been featured in Forbes and the Wall Street Journal, is a best-selling author and the founder of Chris Lindahl Real Estate and the Be Generous nonprofit organization. In this episode, we definitely talked a lot about real estate, but we also did talk about leadership and the customer experience. Before we hop into the show, I want to give a quick business shout out to Active. If you are a business looking to scale your products online, check out weareactive.com today. What's going on, man? Yeah, welcome to the podcast. Um, I would appreciate love it. Thank to, you. Yeah, would love to just check in with you how you've been doing mentally over the past week. Yeah, you know, it's, um, you know, things have been uh, going the best that they can. Obviously, we've had... Uh, some challenging times, um, you know, with everything with uh, the pandemic, uh, and then also um, everything with the the George Floyd tragedy, for sure. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, no, my hearts and and thoughts go out to everyone that's been impacted, um, you know, that tragic event, um, which I think everyone can agree was absolutely awful. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's been, um, it's definitely been interesting. Um, There's definitely a lot of things that, that need to change. I think we can all agree on that. Um, So, so, um, but you know, with all of that being said, uh, things are, things are going okay, but um, things would be going a lot better if, you know, events and, and, and things like that didn't impact so many people over the past few months. Yeah. How's your team at Chris Lindahl real estate been going uh, through all Uh, of this? Yeah. So, um, it's interesting. So from a, um, from a personal perspective, um, you know, we have, uh, a lot of parents in our company, um, that obviously had to do distant learning. Um, so there were some challenges there, no doubt. Um, there, uh, were some sacrifices that, that everyone had to make. And, um, but overall, um, we're doing really well, um, when it comes to our company, uh, and what we're achieving. Uh, we've been hard at work doing a lot of different things. Um, production wise, sales wise, we are, uh, at an all time high. We've never done more business as a company. Um, you know, what we've done in the last two months is the most that we have ever done. Um, and that's a testament to everyone in our company and, um, really digging deep and, and, and making strong commitments and being leaders. Yeah, what do you think the main driver is that from from I mean really succeeding during this time period? You know, it, it's uh, you have a different you have a couple different options on the way that you want to respond to um, to events that happen. You know, and I think uh, it's you know when you look back to oh eight oh nine, you know, I got my license in two thousand nine. Um, you know, it's really those moments of of crisis and, and challenge, um, and people respond differently to those things. Some people. Um, dig deep and 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 really, you know, uh, do whatever they can um, to get through it and figure it out and learn and help and support. Um, and then you have others that completely shut down, um, can't leave. You know, they really can't leave their house. They can't have conversations. They start going slipping into a dark place. Um, they they no longer take action. Um, they start having doubt. You know, self talk transitions into more of a negative state. Um, and those people um, are really struggling uh, in whatever business that they're in today. Um, whereas the ones that were very proactive and, and, and stepped through uh, those challenging moments and knew that hey, we're going to we're going to figure out uh, we are going to figure out how to solve uh, the moment that we're in for our customers and our clients are the ones that are that are absolutely taking over um, in every industry right now. And so much of it's a mindset. It's it's the way that you respond when things get challenging, right? You, leadership is such an interesting thing because when things are good, right? When, when, when things are good, every leader looks great. Like where you really get to see who are true leaders or where you start to get a little turbulent, it starts to get a little bit rocky. Um, those are the times that get a lot more challenging and that's where true character shows up and that's where true leadership shows up. Um, you know, and, and for us, you know, the moment, I mean, the, the, the day, the day for us where, where everything changed was, you know, the NCAA, the NBA, um, canceled their seasons. And then Tom Hanks, um, you know, let everyone know that he had tested positive for coronavirus. So you had, you know, billion dollar, uh, industries that were you're like, Hey, this is serious. Um, and then you had someone that a lot of people 
could relate to. They knew the name, they recognized uh, what was going on. And the combination of those two things, that next day, um, our world our world was changed. Um, and and we, we took action and we knew that things were gonna be different. We knew that uh, from a company standpoint, we were very digital based because um, that's the way that we built our company. So we knew we had a strong foundation. And so we made some pivots and it, it was challenging. It was really hard. Um, but coming through this, um, we now have more consumers uh, that are entering our world than ever before because they now want uh, the innovation and the technology that really our company has been speaking to for the last several years. And now we're starting to see that come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's super interesting because generally the real estate market kind of follows the overall market and that's kind of like delayed a little bit. But given that your knowledge within real estate, do you think that uh, real estate will be taking a dip at all? I don't know. And the reason I don't, if you walk through the differences between 2008 and where we've been at the past several months, the, there's a lot of differences. One is inventory, right? So if you look back to the real estate crash back in the 07, 08, 09 range, depending on what um, you know, what city and, and metro area you're watching from, um, that that period of time was because there was a surplus of inventory, a lot of foreclosures, a lot of short sales. That umbrella was called bank mediated sales, um, and so the banks were um, foreclosing on people. Now you look at the way it is today. When people got furloughed from their jobs uh, for industries that really couldn't um, weren't open for business over the past few months because of the pandemic, um, when you look at the the difference between those, the banks were proactive in reaching out to those people and responding in a very a, a lot more positive way this time than last time. Last time they said you can't pay your bills, we're just going to foreclose on you. This time, what they did is they did forbearance agreements and and the forbearance agreements. Um, there are all different types of ways that they can structure that. So. Meaning if you're going to fall behind your payments, they might take your payments and put them uh, into a balloon payment that's three months, six months, nine months, 12 months down the road. Or they might take your payments or the payments that you're about to be behind or you are behind, and they might roll those into the backside of the loan. And they might re-amortize the loan by 40 years instead of 30 years or whatever, you know, or, you know, if you're in a 15 year, maybe they go to 30. Um, And so one way or another, um, they are getting their money. Um, but it's, it, it put an ease on those bank mediated, uh, transactions for that reason. I think there's, you know, there's still a little bit, um, there's still a little bit of uncertainty about what those forbearances are going to look through as we, as we transition through this. Um, but what's different is last time we had uh, a surplus this time we have way more demand than we do supply. And it's, it's hard to have a correction in real estate when you have more demand than you do supply. It just doesn't, it just doesn't work. Um, you know, in, in the few, in the past few months, when you look at the national, um, you know, housing sales, um, sales are down, but sales are down because inventory is down. Sales aren't down because there's no demand. Um, the other thing too, is most people have equity in their homes. Whereas last time, most that equity disappeared. Right. And so this time people have equity and a lot of people have, uh, not only money, but they, not only equity, but they have money and they have credit. Right. So there's there's a lot of things that are that are completely different this time around than last time. And, and that's why I don't believe that we'll we'll see any sort of uh, downturn um, unless some sort of other global event happens, um, you know, that, that maybe we didn't anticipate happening um, or for some reason we see a dramatic shift from um, from the demand side. Uh, you know, and that, if that trends way down and supply goes way up. We might see more of that, but right now it looks like we're going to have a shortage of inventory for um, a pretty for a pretty long period of time. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. Would you say that, like, did you at all shorten up or kind of increase the amount of information that different buyers are having to meet to purchase a home? What do you, What do you mean by that? Um, yeah. So let's say it's like a credit score, for example. Mm-hmm. Did you do any shifting that would allow a, let's say, a consumer that's looking to purchase a home? Did you alter your criteria for that at all? Well, so anything that has to do with the the credit side of things would be on the mortgage side. Okay. Right. So so anything in terms of qualifying and, and what the minimum credit score that is needed to purchase a home would be done on the mortgage side, not on the real estate side. Um, but we've identified um, <clears throat> several mortgage companies 
that have very attractive programs so that we have the ability to help more people um, and be very diverse in, in the products that, um, you know, that the, the lenders that we work with offer. Okay. Do you, do you see like the future market shifting more towards people like wanting to live outside of the city? Because I know there was, I know a lot of people are probably like living in the city and they're thinking like, wow, I would just maybe enjoy to not live within here just because the, just given like the past circumstances, do you find that more people might be interested living out of the city? You know, so far, um, I can't say that we have enough information. Um, you know, obviously, um, you know, all of the recent events over the past few months, you know, a lot of that data takes three, four, five, six, you know, 12 months from a, um, from a listing to pending to closed. So I, I can't say that we have enough data um, to confirm what you had just asked there one way or another. Um, I think we'll have more information in the upcoming months. I, I, I can't say for certain right now. Okay. Yeah, I do. I do want to touch back. You said you got your real estate license in 2009. What was the main motive to do that? So I had some, I had some friends that, uh, um, that told me I should get my real estate license. And I actually, um, I wasn't sure about it. What I, what I knew is, you know, growing up, I'd always wanted to be a teacher. Uh, once I graduated high school, I went to college, Minnesota State University, Mankato. Um, I got my, I got my educa- education degree from Mankato. Um, and I always wanted to help people. And so when the idea of real estate was presented to me, um, I, I was super curious about it because I saw similarities in helping people. Um, and that's what, that's really um, what allowed me to step through that door uh, of entertaining real estate and then committing to uh, the real estate courses and then ultimately getting my license and becoming a real estate agent um, was all about helping people. And that still holds true to who I am today. It's just shifted a little bit from where it was at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was really a main motive to essentially help people. Um, given the other like almost jobs that you could take up? Were you ever interested in becoming like a paramedic or anything with like the service? You know, I wasn't. Um, It's just, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, I I think when I look at real estate, I I don't know many people grow up saying, I want to be a real estate agent, right? It it, it doesn't happen very often. Um, But what happens is, is that once people start to realize um, that they can truly get to connect with people, um, and they have that unlimited, unlimited earning potential and flexible schedule and all of those things, people start to get curious to that, especially if they've been in a world where, uh, maybe corporate America, right. Where things are very structured. Um, there's, there's constant chaos. It's hard to get things accomplished. Um, I think some people have to go through some of that. And once they go through that, they realize that, Hey, this flexibility of real estate and being able to you know, have that flexible schedule and being able that, you know, whatever effort I put in is what I'll get back out. Um, we're seeing a lot more people that are really attracted to that. But for me, I, I never, um, I never considered any of those other industries, partly because I, I don't think, you know, when you graduate college, you don't always know what you want to do, right? You get done, you're like, wow, like, I was so focused on getting my college degree. Now I'm done. What do I do? I haven't even thought about my career. I just was focused on graduating college. And so I think I didn't put a lot of emphasis on that um, until after the fact. And I think that we see that often with um, with students that are just about to graduate college. Yeah. I know through Chris Lindell Real Estate, you have like a, would you say like a training program that you offer to others to, would you say, become certified as a real estate agent? Yeah. So, so there's two parts to that, right? There's a scholarship program, right? So we're offering scholarships. Um, and that has been a huge program. So what we're doing is we're paying for people to go to real estate school. So real estate school in Minnesota is um, 90 hours of classwork. So it's course one, course two, course three. And then there's an optional exam prep course that preps you for the state and the national exam. Um, and so we're paying for people to go get their license. And now we've just added Wisconsin as well. And then we have added the ability to have scholarships uh, for people to be duly licensed in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Um, and so there's, so there's the scholarship part where, you know, that's realestatescholarship.com and we have 
so many people that are uh, applying for that. I think we've had 1,500 people apply in the last 30 days. Um, so it's, it's part of our be generous uh, core value of giving back to the community, especially in the past few months where um, there's uh, not a lot of companies that are hiring uh, right now, right? I mean, a lot of them are doing the opposite. They're laying people off, uh, they're furloughing and things like that. So we wanted to make a commitment um, to truly helping people get back to work. And so that was our scholarship program. Now, the second part of that is you brought up training. So our training, you know, training is, a, um, is an interesting word, right? Um, because to me, I look at our company, um, I don't look at it as actual training. I look at it as an institute. So you get done with your scholarship. And by the way, those classes are boring. Um, it's like they're long. Um, they're not super exciting. But then as soon as you're done, you come into our institute, which is a whole different level um, of training on how to sell real estate in today's world. It is completely different. Uh, I'm confident that any person that comes through our scholarship program will be, in, will be successful in real estate by going through our training. We've spent years and years and years, and in, in, I've implemented everything um, that I did when I first became an agent to help us get to where we are today. We teach those things in our institute. Um, and we're very, very, very selective on who we bring into our company um, because we only want the best. Now, I know that we uh, have created an elite real estate brand around the country, and we only want the best people that have strong work ethic and are committed um, to growth. That's the only type of people that we want. And so that's the so as we go through those applications in the scholarship program, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for those people that want more. They want to be better. They're never satisfied. Um, and, and maybe they've fallen on tough times or maybe they've been uncertain about what they want to do. And so they enter that scholarship uh, program. And then as soon as they're done with um, their tests and, and all of the, uh, the 90 hours of classes, they jump into our institute and, and we train them um, on how to be a, a real estate agent um, in today's world. And it, it's so fun to watch people succeed after they go through our institute because having the ability to spend time and share, you know, my journey of the, the failures, really. I mean, I've made so many mistakes along the way to get to where I was um, that in our institute, we share those things because I don't want to see anyone else make the same mistakes that I made. Do you get to be in on the application process? Um, I don't. No, I okay. don't. Uh, I'm part of the uh, I, I'm part of the the video series on the front end, and um, there definitely are a lot of people that send me messages on social media, um, and I and I read all of those. I monitor all my own accounts, um, so there so there are a lot of people that come in contact, and we put them through the same uniform process, which is at realestatescholarship.com to keep things consistent for everyone. Yeah, you said you monitor all of your social media accounts. Do you enjoy doing that? I love it. I love, love it. it. You know, we get. You know, we get so much positive feedback, um, you know, and, 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 and what's interesting is we also have some people that, um, that get on there and, and, and don't love what we're doing. Um, and what's so interesting about it is, is those people have never met us, right? They've never met us. They don't know us. Um, they, it was, they heard something, they said something. And, and a lot of those things originate um, within the real estate industry. And it's, it's like judging a book by its cover and, or it's like, reading a, a news headline, but not reading the article, or, or it's like judging um, the Patriots or judging the Yankees or, or judging the Lakers or the Golden State Warriors. I mean, all, there's so many examples, right, of, of, of uh, teams or, or things that where, where the book looks, the cover looks one way, but when you read it, it's something completely different. And I think everyone watching and listening can uh, really relate to a judgment that they had about something only to find out that they were completely wrong. I know I have, right? Where I've thought something looked a certain way. And then once I actually looked further into it, or once I met that person, um, it was completely different than what I originally thought. And so, so it's, common for, it's common for people to have an um, opinion about us because we're everywhere. Um, but what's interesting is once people actually get to know us, they realize um, all of the good that we're doing. And the commitment that we have to using our platform for, for greater good and to, to help others, um, especially right now in a time where so many um, could use additional resources. And I know that we're fortunate to have a platform like we have. And so our commitment is to be generous and give back as much as possible. Um, but over the years, 
I can tell you what the number one thing that I've seen that, that robs human beings of productivity um, is distraction in their judgment of others. Like um, they're so focused on, um, you know, playing defense and worried about what everyone else is done doing that they don't want to pull the mirror up. They don't want to look in the mirror and hold themselves accountable. They want to talk about what everyone else is doing um, rather than what they're not doing. Um, and, you know, and, and truly focusing on offense and in our company, you know, you'll never hear me say uh, anything negative about anyone ever. Uh, never have, never will. Um, I believe um, that staying in that positive mindset and, and helping everyone um, really focus on their, on their strengths um, and not their weaknesses is how you get people to grow. And so the more that I get to meet people um, that may have had an opinion of who we are, and then the minute that we get an opportunity to connect with them, to watch them shift the way that and, and who they thought they were to watch them shift. Um, it's so rewarding because they don't know who we are. And um, the other thing that I've seen too, is we are gaining so much more support from those people that maybe they didn't have an opinion of us, or maybe they thought they heard something. Those people are starting to shift into supporters um, and start and, and are really starting to um, engage with us on social media because What's interesting about, you know, real estate is we're one of the only um, locally owned real estate companies. When you look at the other big brokers, um, you know, that are our size, um, they're all owned by national companies, meaning that all of their profit goes out of state. Whereas everything that we do stays in, um, in Minnesota, in Western Wisconsin. So we keep everything local. That's why we're able to give so much more to uh, the local communities, to the charities, um, create more jobs through our scholarship program. We're able to do so much more because we are centralized. We were um, born and raised and, and built here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love what the impact that you're making in the world, Chris. And I'm curious, is the Be Generous, is that kind of like a mission or is that like an actual nonprofit? Mm -hmm. It started as our number one core value, and now it's a nonprofit. So like the Be Generous hat that I'm wearing, the, the, the Be Generous um, sweatshirt that I'm wearing, I wear these every day. Um, you can go to BeGenerousProject.org, um, and, and people can order whatever they want. We give 100% of the money back. We don't, um, we don't take any money. It 100% goes back into the communities. And, and, and maybe you're not in a position, if you're, if you're watching this, to purchase something but maybe you have an idea for us of someone or an entity or a company um, or a charity or a family that really has fallen on hard times. It could use some help and we'll do whatever we can to help and give back. So it started as a core value. It's still our core value, but now it's also a 501 C three. Um, and, and we've really um, mostly self-funded that nonprofit up to this point um, to help give back to our local communities here. Okay. Do you manage that independently or do you have other people help manage the funds? So we have a, we have a board. So when you have a 501c3, you have to have a board. So, so we have a board, um, you know, we have the accountants and attorneys and everything that's required, um, all of the regulation that's required for a 501c3. So it's, uh, um, there's, there's multiple um, people involved, but it's, um, it's all non-paid. Like I said, 100% of our resources um, that are, that are generated, go back in, um, go back into the communities. They, we don't, uh, no one takes a salary. No one takes any expenses or anything. So we push it all back in, um, which I believe is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. What, uh, what's your biggest, or what's your favorite organization that you personally like to donate to? Uh, our Be Generous Project. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like that was a softball. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was good. <laughs> For sure. Uh, no, I, I mean, it's, it's what I believe in. And I think in a time, I mean, I think now more than ever before, I believe that we need more generosity. And, you know, the thing about generosity that's so interesting is a lot of people think that generosity um, means money. And in a lot of cases, money is not the only thing that's needed. Um, people might need time. People might need time from you. Like, you know, maybe just on this uh, interview with you or, meeting with someone or maybe picking up the phone to that person you haven't talked to in a while or sending them a quick video or a, sec, uh, a quick email, a quick message. Um, and then the other side of it as well, which is the, what we talk about often is our talents. So what we've learned throughout our life, you know, and some people are further along the journey than others, 
but we all have some talents to share. Um, you know, I, it's interesting when you say the word talents, sometimes people freeze up and they go, oh, what would I share? How would I contribute? And then once you find someone start having a conversation, you're like, wow, like I actually didn't know that I learned from that, you know? And so it's so interesting how you can have in generosity, you can have those three pillars, which are the time treasures and talents and the three of those to, together, um, really we believe is what generosity is all about. Um, that's like the entire cycle of generosity where you, when you, if you, I believe if you're living your true life of, of, high, of being a high performer, um, you stand and sit in every one of those pillars. And I critically believe that. And that's why I'm here spending time with you today because I want to share with others hoping that maybe they don't make all the same mistakes that we made. Um, and some of the things that I share today, um, you know, are things that we've learned along the way. Um, you know, we're always students first and we're, we're always trying to learn. And that's why I want to share as much as I can, hoping that we can make it just a little bit easier for others. Mm -hmm. Have you ever taken a like Clinton strength finder test? Uh, like a strength finder? I, I don't okay. remember what my, yeah, no. yeah, I have, I have yeah. taken the, the strength okay. finders. I could, I could pull it up and, and look at what it is. Yeah. But just through knowledge, what would you say is like your number one strength? Um, you know, it, it, it's very futuristic, visionary. Like I can, uh, I'm, when you look at all those assessments and obviously they're all a little bit different, um, which I've, I've taken the strength finders. I actually have a, a, a very dear friend of mine, um, Cesar Castaleos, who, uh, I went to high school with. He's been a, he's been a friend for so long. He's actually, uh, an implementer for strength finders. Um, and so we did a very deep dive into that. Um, not only for me, but also our leadership team. And we've done so many assessments. Um, we're very focused on personal development um, and really, you know, trying to figure out like, you know, how do our personalities work together? What are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? Um, and, and the one thing that comes up every single time is, uh, is visionary. I mean, I'm off the, off the charts visionary. Um, and that's why I need people around me that really have that process oriented integrator type mindset. Um, because I can see the future. I, I, I know where we're headed. I know where the consumer's going. I know where our industry's headed. Um, but I need others around me that, that really help on those places where I'm not so strong. Um, and, and that's where they thrive. And so it becomes this partnership because the reality is, is that no one's great at everything. I mean, that's just the reality. And if, if someone thinks that, they're lying, right? I mean, we all have weaknesses and we have other things that we're, we're stronger at. Um, but Visionary has been one for me. Um, others I've had to work super hard at, um, you know, that aren't necessarily personality, personality characteristics, but I mean, leadership, I mean, I've spent, um, so much time and so many resources over the years on personal development courses and training and live events and speaking events just to become a better person and a better leader. Um, and I will never get there because I believe that I got to continue to invest in myself so that I can show up for friends, for family, for my company, for my community. Um, I need to show up for them. And it's just like you look at athletics or anything else. If you're not taking the steps to train and to practice, you know, how can you plan to perform at the highest level in the game when you haven't taken any of those steps um, behind the scenes? And so I'm a, a constant learner of trying to get better and trying to grow um, and I it sort of combine that with that, that visionary futuristic, um, side of things. And it's, uh, it's why we got to where we are. Um, but there's also a lot of people in our, our company, um, and a lot of other leaders as well that have made such big commitments to our company. Um, and, and with that, and I, and I, and I want to make sure that I mention this cause I think it's, it's critical as well. Also all of the families, all of the families that have supported the people in our company, um, is such a big part of it. Is it's so such a big part of it? I think sometimes people forget that it's not just the people that step through the doors um, in a company. It's also the people that support them when they go home, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a it's a combination of things. Um, and we're so forever grateful for all of the support that we have. Um, we wouldn't be where we are without all of that support. I can assure you of that. Mm -hmm. If you were to lay out all of your um, all the investments that you've made to better yourself. What one would be the most memorable to you? Investments in, in uh, give me, give me an, like, yeah, for more sure. detail on that. Uh, books, events, live training. What would be yeah, the so, most memorable and impactful? So, um, 
a mentor of mine, uh, Brendan Bouchard is his name. Um, for those of you that follow him, or, you know, he wrote High Performance Habits and so many other books. Um, about, I think it was about six or seven years ago, um, I signed up. This is early in his journey um, in high performance. I signed up to be a, a certified high performance coach. Um, and it was a super significant investment to, to do this program. It was a five-day intensive. And it was really intense. Uh, it was from eight in the morning till I mean, it was late. It was a it was a grind. Um, and what I what I found interesting is everyone in that room. I think there were about thirty people at that time. It was really small. Um, everyone in that room was there to be a coach, except for me. I went there just to learn how to be a better leader, how to ask better questions, how to support my company, how to support the friends, family, how to support people around me. Um, and I learned so much. Um, it was so hard too. you know, we had, uh, 10 sets of curriculum. They change every two years when we go get recertified. Um, but every one of those, um, you know, every one of those sessions, we have a breakout for an hour and a half to two and a half hours, um, where one person is the coach and one person is the student and it's real life. So if someone's the coach, they're coaching you, um, in your real life as a student. Um, and it's, um, it's hard. It's emotional. Um, it's not easy. It's, it's, um, but it's big growth. It really is. It's, um, it's helped me so much in, with my ability to, uh, ask questions and to listen. Um, I think one thing with leadership that is always very challenging is, you know, we might know the answer, especially for visionaries that are watching, we might know what the answer is, but we need them to come up with the answer rather than us filling in the blank form. And sometimes that can be painful when you already know what the answer is and they can't quite discover it. But that's where those moments of growth come when they're using their own words and they're discovering uh, those answers rather than you as the leader filling in the blanks for them. Mm -hmm. What were some of those exercises that you did do when you're at the High Performance Academy? Sorry, I just, uh, I'm <laughs> drinking water. I just got done okay. working out right before I jumped on the call. Nice. Um, I wanted to be just ready to fire for you. So yeah, um, gyms are back, back up open. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah. I was working out at home, but I was, uh, but yeah, I was, um, I was just getting pumped up. So, um, the, um, there, there's all kinds of different sessions on that, right? So there's, um, there's productivity, there's physiology, there's psychology, um, there's high performance. Um, there are so many factors that going into being a high performer. Um, it's not just one thing. Um, the thing that always sticks out to me um, in high performers is really methodically, and this is different for everyone, um, planning out their day the night before. And for some people, that could be a journal, right, where they write it out, they, they journal it out. For others, um, you know, they, they, they really may have control over their mind. They go, okay, for 45 minutes, I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to take a five, 10 minute break. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to walk. I'm going to get some oxygen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go outside. I'm going to get some fresh air. And they, and they go methodically throughout the day. Um, and and that's, a, that's a big part of, of high performers is knowing what you're going to do throughout the day. So those distractions, especially with technology, don't enter your world. The second part of that is, is your morning routine. Um, it's, it's come up so many times in so many books and so many studies is like, when do you get up? How do you get up? What do you do? And what do you intake? Like, are you intaking social media in the media and negativity? Or are you really looking for like positive affirmations? Are you watching very positive things? Are you reading? Um, you know, maybe, maybe it's books, maybe it's the Bible, whatever it is, or whoever's watching or listening, you have to have something that gets you in the right frame of mind to get through that day. And once you start your day the right way, that mindset of yours will carry you throughout the day. But, you know, throughout life, I've just seen so many people that, hit the snooze button a thousand times. They're trying to get up. They're rolling around. They're trying to get motivated. Um, they're not sure exactly why they're doing what they're doing. And, you know, it, there, there's so many different factors to what motivates someone. But by having a, a clear set schedule and starting your morning the right way is a big step to high performance. Mm -hmm. I 100% agree. I'd love yeah. to know how you structure your morning routine. Yeah. So, so for me is, um, you know, I get up around five, five 30, uh, I've been sleeping until about five 30 more often, but usually, but usually I get up at around five. Um, and then I'll, uh, I'll jump on the, I'll jump on the bike. 
Um, and I'll usually listen to a, um, you know, I might listen to a podcast. Um, I might listen to some light music. Um, it just depends on the day. Um, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get my workout in. Um, I usually, uh, after that, I'll have a egg white and spinach omelet, um, with a, uh, with a glass of tea. Um, and some days I'll, I'll have a protein shake instead. It just depends on the day. Um, but I, I don't drink any caffeine, so I don't have any caffeine. I don't drink, uh, I never really have drunk, uh, drank caffeine. So, um, so I'm always drinking, um, non-caffeinated tea. Um, but yeah, so that's, you know, usually I, I almost always, it's a, um, it's a egg white and uh, spinach omelet. Almost always. Um, I'll also have, uh, on most days I'll have avocado as long mm. as I have ripe ones. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no, usually I'll have avocado as well, but that's, um, that's how I start my day. I get super fired up. Um, I've got to get mentally in the right, uh, state. Um, and, um, you know, sometimes meditate in the morning, just, it, it there's just a couple of different directions, depending on what my day looks like. Um, you know, some days are, I mean, some days I get up at five o'clock in the morning and I don't get done till 10 PM. Um, you know, and other days I, I get done a little bit earlier, but, um, I have a lot of people that are counting on me, um, to show up, um, sharp, mentally sharp. Um, so I have to make sure that I do those things in the morning so that I can show up all day long. Like for example, today, like today was a huge day for us. We have a lot of big things that are coming out. We had our, um, big leadership morning, uh, meeting today, um, truly trying to figure out, you know, how we're going to roll these things out, what it's going to look like. Um, I had some, uh, media interviews. Um, I had, I mean, I had a really, really big day. Um, and I knew that, you know, I mean, I worked out this morning and now I just worked out again because I knew that I wanted to show up for you and for your audience, um, with a lot of energy, right. And so really getting that workout in and really getting that mental clarity so that I could show up fully charged and, and, you know, and, and I've got, uh, several appointments after this. And so really taking care of the mental side of things is, is so critical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mental health is extremely important for you. Mm -hmm. Just as important as like your physical health. Yes. Um, but being one that is almost always in front of people, are you one that really enjoys that extroverted scene or are you someone that would be classified as like an introvert? You know, I think, uh, naturally, I think I've been more of an extrovert. I think as I was younger, I was even more extreme on the extroverts, extrovert side. But I think as I've grown uh, older, um, I think as our company has grown, I've become a little bit more introverted than I used to be. Um, it's interesting. In, in big settings, um, I feel like I shift a little bit more uh, to the introvert side just because I'm always on. Um, whereas in small settings, um, I'm more extroverted. Um, but it's uh, for me, like I, uh, you know, I love both. It just depends on the day. I, I can be flexible. Um, over time, you know, I mean, one of the sessions that is in uh, the high performance um, uh, coaching um, is energy you know, energy is a big one, right? So managing your energy. Um, and so much of that is directly correlated to being an extrovert versus an introvert. Um, and so I've learned, um, over time how to really control my energy. Um, where when I was younger, you know, if you were interviewing me, I mean, it was full throttle. I was going to like run through the computer screen. Um, I just had one level, but now I can, I can dial it up and down and back and forth. Um, because I've really learned how to control my energy more. Um, and that's come with maturity. That's come with a lot of training. Um, but I think that that's a, that's a really big part of it as well. Are you familiar with triggers? Uh, just tell me more. Yeah, triggers. So if you're about to go and speak, you're able to use a trigger, whether that's like clap oh, of a hand sure. yes. or something, yes. and then you just, you go. For sure. You use yeah. Those so at there's all? all kinds of techniques. Yeah. So there's, um, so the, you know, I mean, um, I didn't know what part of triggers you were talking about, but I mean, a big one is breath scaling, right? So, um, so when you talk about, um, you know, I, I guess people watching that, that maybe get, you know, I mean, I get a little bit nervous speaking in front of crowds. I mean, I've spent years and years and years speaking, uh, you know, from crowds of tens of thousands, uh, down to five people and everywhere in between. Um, and when I first started, I was terrible and I got just a little bit better, just a little bit better. And I kept practicing, I kept showing up. Um, but one thing that, that really holds true is the way that we breathe, right? The, the reason why we get nervous is we stop breathing, right? We, we don't breathe as much. Like we, we stop breathing. That's why you'll hear people when people are nervous, like just breathe, just breathe, just breathe. 
And so what I'll do is um, when I'm backstage or in a green room, depending on where the event is, um, I'll do some breath scaling. And that will really help me uh, calm down because it's bringing in massive amounts of oxygen into my brain. And it gives me this calming feeling right before I go on stage, right before I go in front of a crowd. Um, and it makes a massive difference in my delivery um, when, I, when I have the right amount of oxygen. Okay, interesting. Are you, are you interested in kind of like this science behind um, just like how the body works? Um, I know you mentioned psychology um, and that you were at like Brenda Bouchard's event. Are you someone that's interested in like learning more about humans and how they operate? Always. always. Yeah. Yeah. Always. I'm always, you know, I mean, there's a, I mean, there's another one that I mentioned that I would mention is, you know, Qigong where, you know, you really start it's, I mean, some people notice tapping in Qigong, different, different ways to do it. But I mean, where you can, uh, where you, you truly tap around, you know, your arms, your legs and really loosen up the, the meridians and really loosen up that energy. Um, I mean, and there's, you know, there's some, some other ones where you can do some, um, some clawing on the legs. Um, and, you know, I think they're, they might be named tiger claws or something like that. You, you'll notice that, um, with Olympic sprinters a lot, you'll, you'll notice that with Olympic sprinters right before they get in the starting block, they'll start clawing their legs and their quads. Um, and, and I would challenge everyone that's watching to, to do that sometime for just a few minutes to really go down and, and, and really just like shake and, uh, and, and claw on your, on your muscles going down your legs, you'll notice that after you get done, you'll lift up your legs and you can't feel them. You're so light on your, on your feet. Um, and you'll notice that that's why all of those uh, Olympic runners, right before they get in the starting block, that's why if you look at them, they're always you know, with their quads and they're always getting loose or shaking their legs. Um, because when you come out of the starting gate, you're so much lighter on your toes. So there's some, to your point, there's some hacks and things like that that you can do um, from a physiology standpoint, they can make things a lot easier. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, as someone that's very interested in the customer experience, I've heard you talk and like mention the like Amazon purchasing pr process and trying to incorporate that same method within Chris Lindahl real estate. How have you been able to take like a purchasing method like that and transform it into like a real estate model? Well, when I first started back in 2009, what I saw is I saw an, ind an individual real estate agent model, um, which I knew was flawed. Um, basically, you had an individual realtor that um, would present to their neighborhood, typically, because like there was like this neighborhood expert, they'd send out postcards and newsletters and magnets for the fridge and whatever else, and say like, I'm the neighborhood expert, I know the neighborhood. But it was, a, it was a, a very hollow offer because there was nothing behind that. Typically, it was one agent um, operating all of these parts of the business by themselves. So that was 2009. You look at the evolution of technology. Um, you look at the portals that have come out there. You look at the search engines such as Google and Yahoo and Bing and social media with Facebook and Instagram and um, LinkedIn and, and Twitter and, and now TikTok and all of these other platforms out there. Um, that are all places to market products. And so if you're selling your home, uh, that's a place that you want to be. And then you look at all of the different types of communication streams where you have uh, social media messengers, um, you have text messages, you have emails, you have phone calls, um, you have carrier pigeons for some, <laughs> you have fax machines, you have electronic signatures, you have all these different ways to communicate. And then you look at... Um, the all the other parts of a real estate process like um photography and staging and now um which is very relevant today is 3d photography right so we have our own 3d uh cameras um in our in-house photography or photographers that go out and do 3d tours on every home because over the past few months a lot more uh of the home buyers didn't want to leave their home or didn't want to go to homes during the pandemic so we created a 3d showing experience for them all of those things, and that's just a few of them, and there's so many more, are done in the traditional real estate world by one person. It's not possible. You look at any organization, any industry, other than a few rare examples where solopreneur works, for the most part, there are a lot of people in a lot of different positions that are sitting in a seat where it's their strengths and not their weaknesses. But in real estate, you have essentially a plate spinner spinning all of these plates, trying to keep all the plates in the air. And you have a consumer 
that in every other industry wants to move faster, wants convenience, wants quick response, wants a different level of service than we've ever had before, because that's the type of experience that they're getting everywhere else in the world. And so you look at the traditional real estate model, traditional real estate, they can't serve the client um, at that capacity. It's not possible. And so what's happening right now is you have a lot of real estate professionals that are um, that are still doing business they were they, the way they were five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Um, and they haven't evolved and they haven't adapted. We're in the we're like in the fifth, sixth inning of a complete evolution. Um, the innovation and the disruption is going to hit the industry. And I know that we'll be the front runner because we've been so focused on the consumer experience this entire time, whereas so many others in real estate have been focused on what they always do. Right. It's it's like put a lockbox on the house, put a sign in the yard, host some open houses, put it in the MLS and charge uh, an exorbitant amount of commission for no marketing at all. You can't find it on social media. The photos are terrible. There's errors in the listing. No one answers the phone when you try to call them. No one responds to the messages on social media. The consumers are losing so much, but the consumers are still slightly distracted by the personal relationship that they have with that realtor, a friend, a family member, a neighbor, whatever it may be. And they feel this sense of obligation to use them, even though it's the most significant investment of their entire life. And we are um, really starting to see a massive shift in consumers doing far more research before just going with the family friend, right? We're seeing, we're seeing way more research, especially over the last couple of months where now that traditional process doesn't work anymore. There has to be a digital strategy that includes a super high level social media plan or you're not gonna get maximum exposure, which translates to maximum dollar on your home. And then on the buy side, you're not gonna get access to off-market properties and things like that. So you're gonna use the same approach that everyone else does, which is just wait for the new listing on the real estate website. And then it pushes a notification to the app. Maybe it texts you, maybe it emails you. And then you have a very reactive approach, just like every other buyer. You have no edge. You're all doing the same thing. And I get it because from a consumer perspective, consumers have all the data now. And the reason why they're all doing their own research is because they don't want to talk to a realtor. They, there's this um, apprehension of wanting to talk to a salesperson, just the same way that if you go to a store or go, you go to a car dealership or wherever, you get on the lot and someone says, hey, can I help? And you go, no, I'm good. But I just happen to be looking at cars on a car lot, right? It's the defense mechanism of like, hey, don't bother me. And we're watching a lot of consumers on the buy side that are actually missing out on a lot of opportunities because they are doing their own research. So it's, 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 it's interesting perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. So you're kind of taking this older process of what someone would normally have to do to buy a home. And you're really like fine tuning that process and you're almost making it like an Amazon shopping. Like when you go shop on Amazon e-commerce, you're trying, you're almost trying to shift towards that method. Is that correct? That's, that's correct. Um, you know, and that's not the only one. And, and what's interesting about real estate is forever, they always said, well, it's not going to, you know, this type of convenience, this type of experience, uh, uh, won't, you won't be able to execute it or this is too big of a purchase. And now you're starting to see it uh, in the car world, right? With the Carvanas of the world, where you can just enter your information on, online, they'll bring you a new car and they'll pick up your car and just, you never have to go to a dealership or anything. And you're also seeing it um, with our guaranteed offer program, right? I mean, we were one of the first ones to create that streamless, that streamlined process to selling your home. Um, and we have, you know, we receive hundreds and hundreds of requests um, for that program because people want that convenience. Yeah, I, I know like the billboard is a huge thing. Have you ever tried... Have you found success running any other advertisement other than billboards? Oh yeah, no, no, no. We our uh, marketing strategy is impossible to replicate at this point. I mean, from a digital standpoint to the traditional that you described, which is billboards and radio, um, we have built a true omnipresent uh, marketing campaign that, around digital, around social media, 
um, you know, airplanes, uh, postcards, newspapers, um, retargeting. We've used video, tons of video. Um, we've built something that can't be replicated again. And what the, the beautiful thing is now is that all of that exposure and all of that visibility, that leads to more traffic on our website. And what's the best part about it is all of the customers that we work with, they get the benefit of all of that traffic to our website. If they're selling a home with us, all of those potential buyers that see and hear our marketing, see our listings, see our digital offerings, see our ads, they come to our website, they get to see um, the clients' homes that we're working with, that we represent, they get to see them first. Um, and then on the other side, we have people that want a very convenience-based way to sell their home, maybe don't want to go on the MLS, and they come to our website. And so we know um, what they have, what they want, when they want to sell. And then all of the buyers that are entering our world, we can let the buyers know about all this inventory that is not on the MLS. And the reason why that all happens is because of our marketing strategy and because we have a mass amount of traffic to our website where our clients have a significant advantage over everyone else in the real estate industry. Because when you look at real estate brokerages and you look at their model, real estate brokerages have been taking advantage of their agents for a long, long, long time. What I mean by that is they are monetizing the likeness of their agents. And let me translate that. So if you're an agent at XYZ brokerage, which is very traditional based, and you go work with a friend or a family member or someone that you are working with to sell their home, you put a sign in the yard, you're required, it's required to be a brokerage sign, which is essentially a mini billboard. And now the brokerage gets market share in that neighborhood. Every neighbor that drives by, every buyer that drives by, they see the brokerage name, which is more bold, more prominent than they do the agent name. And they continue to build that. When you look online, same thing. When you look on social media, same thing. The brokerage is sharing all these things as a service to the agent, but the reality is they're monetizing the likeness of their agents, allowing them to build their brand. And the reason that this happens is because of the model that they have created. It only allows them to depend on their agents, which by having a model like that doesn't allow them to create that consumer experience and that, and that streamlined approach that we've created. Um, and what you're going to see is you're going to start to see a revolt of agents in these brokerages that are going to leave because they're starting to see that their brokerages are advertising and marketing nowhere, right? When you think of real estate, you know, how many real estate companies do you truly think of in the Twin Cities that are marketing, right? Very that's, few. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I mean. And agents are starting to see that and they're going, I'm not at the right place. Like not only from a marketing perspective, but we have no plan for a streamlined approach. And they're looking at, they're asking questions to leadership and their brokerage. Um, and it's not making sense. It's not making sense. And it actually hasn't made sense for a very long time. These brokerages have made a lot of money on their agent's likeness. And the agents are starting to get tired of it. They want to go to companies like ours where we're investing all of this into marketing and opportunities, which is creating way more business for our agents so it's a win-win. Do our agents work with some friends and, and family? Of course they do. But they also then get the benefit of our well-known brand, which gives their friends and family confidence in, the, uh, in selecting them as the agent and us as the brokerage. Um, but then there's also other factors as well where there's just floods of opportunities that come in. And in our world, those are, we, what we do is we set the appointments. So our agents get warm appointments in the traditional real estate world, you have brokers that will hand out cold leads that they expect the agents to cold call all day long and try to get them on the phone. And when you look at the different models, being in that traditional brokerage model, you know, it's like mentioned that cold calling, traditional real estate agents are giving up all their time. They're so focused on, you know, what's your split? What's your compensation? They've been asking this and the brokers want them asking that question because the, bro the traditional brokers don't want agents calculating how much time they're investing in. That's the one thing in every formula that no agent wants to do the math on. Why? Or, or, yeah, the reason why they, 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 don't do the, they don't do the math on the time is because the broker never educates them to do it. They want to mm -hmm. keep talking about this attractive, 
hey, we're going to give you this much compensation, this much split. The reality is the broker has no overhead because they're monetizing the signs and the listings and the buyers that the, the agent's selling to their friends and family. And then they're giving them a few cold leads that the agent's got to spend all this time trying to get a hold of them, trying to follow up, which they're investing all of this time. And the broker doesn't want them to know that. The other thing the traditional broker doesn't want them to know is how much they're investing in their expenses. So signs, lockboxes, marketing, graphic design, all of these things, the traditional broker doesn't want them doing that. So I've seen this for years. The traditional broker will give out uh, sales awards based on their gross income, not their net income, because they want all of the agents to feel good about a fake number. Like it's a fake number. The real number, you have to subtract out all of your expenses and you have to subtract out your time investment. And no one ever does that calculation. They always focus on the gross number. If you ask any real estate agent, oh, how much do you make? They're going to tell you their gross number. Every once in a while, you'll have someone that's a bit more savvy that might tell you their partial net number, but they never calculate their time. So in our world, we're handing out all of these appointments and we're giving our agents so much more velocity. We're giving them their time back. So their bottom line is way healthier than other companies. But a lot of agents look at it from a split perspective. They're not looking at the amount of time that they're getting back. And they're not looking at the true calculation of what their bottom uh, line number is, uh, their, their true net number. You know, I mean, we just looked at our, um, our, the average of our top agents uh, in 2019. Our agents averaged 38.5 transactions for 12 months. The average stat, depending on where you look, is between seven to nine homes a year for the average agent. We sell 38.5. Um, which is a mat that's massively different. But I look at some agents that sell two, three, four homes in a year that are so concerned about the split that they're spent all their time trying to figure out how to get more business that their net profit is actually negative if they calculated time into that formula. So it's super interesting when you look at the, the real estate model. And then there's the other side of it where there's not a streamlined process behind them. There's no support. So they go out and they get someone to work with. They have to handle the transaction. They have to handle the paperwork. They have to handle the follow-up. They have to handle the coordination with the inspector, the appraiser, the lender, the insurance, um, all of these different pieces that they have to handle everything. And so if they really look at what is their hourly rate, most real estate agents are actually negative money. They just haven't done the calculation on their time. Yeah, that sounds like a legal pyramid scheme almost. <laughs> it's it's very it's almost. a it's a very interesting model, and I'm surprised that traditional real estate brokers have been able to get away with it for as long as they have. Yeah, I really that's, have. Yeah, it's, that's interesting. It's starting to change. It, it's starting to change in a big way because um, agents are becoming far more educated about marketing and what's happening online and things like that, and they're realizing that all of these opportunities are helping their brokerage more than they're helping themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of looking at the people that you hire within Chris Linnell Real Estate, would you say a lot of those people are coming from other uh, other brokerages or are they coming like straight out of high school, college? You know, we have, um, we have people of all demographics uh, that enter our world. We have some people that were stay-at-home parents um, that want to re-enter the workforce um, after their kids have, uh, you know, have graduated high school and, and you know, went off. It went off to post-secondary. Um, we've had some people that are just starting um, in everything in between. We have, uh, we have all, de- all demographics in our organization. The one thing that's true is that, like I said earlier, we're super focused on people that are, one, open-minded and have a growth mindset, right? And so what we don't want in our organization is we don't want small thinkers. We don't want small thinkers. We want big thinkers that are open to doing more. What we don't want is we don't want people that are closed-minded, that think they have it all figured out, that think they're doing a good job. We want people that are open-minded and, and, and our students first. And as, if they're open-minded and they're students first, we can help them scale up to a whole different level than they've ever experienced. Not only on production, but their bottom line. 
right? Their net income, we can increase that drastically. Um, but like I said earlier, some people aren't open to that because they want to judge us um, because of all of the success that the people in our organization have had, and they're not open to that conversation. But the ones that are, that are they're, they're, they're building generational wealth in our organization right now. Mm-hmm. Sweet. And then Chris, to finish off the podcast, I asked two questions. And the first one is, what would you say is your true north in life or purpose? Yeah, so true north, um, generosity um, is, is who I am at the core. Um, I always want to help others. I always want to give back. Um, I have a massive heart. Um, and I, I just want to make a difference in this world. And I, I want to positively impact uh, everyone and everything that I come in contact with through generosity. I love that. You actually motivated me because I saw uh, you were donating to the Sheridan story. Um, yeah. I know I think it was kind of early during uh, COVID started. Um, so you motivated me to donate to Sheridan story. So I appreciate that from you. Thank you for sharing Thank that. Yeah. yeah, I love that. And, and so that's so that's a prime example. Like that's the that's just the power of using a platform today, right? I mean, and so by you donating you also then helped other people and you brought exposure to the Sheridan project for others. And that's where we all can use um, our, our, we can use our platforms for greater good. Now I want to share this really quick because I think it's super important. A lot of times when people see someone share that either they donated or that they're matching donations, they think that that company or that person is trying to get additional exposure for giving back. What they don't realize is that by not sharing, they're actually raising less money. And it's actually a very selfish thing. So when you have anonymous donors that are donating things, they, the, the organization that's getting donated to only receives whatever that anonymous amount was. If you turn those funds into a public match or a public donation, and you used a platform with uh, that has a lot of social connections and a lot of followers, probably more of a like influencer, um, you would raise way more awareness and way more money for that organization. So I would just challenge everyone that may say, oh, I just like giving. I don't want anyone to know about it. You actually could raise way more money for organizations if you share it with others. Also, there's a second part of that, which is the emotional connection to the story, right? You see what Sheridan does and you're like, and I love what they're doing. I want to contribute. And this is how GoFundMe got to where they are, right? GoFundMe, the, the, they've created a platform that we can share stories of friends, family, people that we know, and we can then share that on social media. And it gives us an emotional connection to that story, which raises the likelihood that we're going to contribute to that cause. Yeah. Question number two is, uh, what would be your last piece of advice? That's message. Uh, last piece of advice, mindset, mindset every single time in and, and there and, and mindset's obviously a big word. Uh, and there's a lot to unpack there. Um, but when I think of mindset, I think of self-talk and I think about the words that we use, uh, because the subconscious and the words that we use, that's what we project onto others. And so if we're thinking negative things or we're unsure, um, people can feel it because anything that you're, that you're thinking privately shows up publicly. And so when you think about mindset and you think about that self-talk, when you start to build that confidence in the way that you treat yourself, you start treating others better. You start showing up better as a person. You start showing up better as a leader. Everything gets better when you really start to dial in your mindset, you know, I'm, I've been so focused on, on mindset that it's impossible for me to have a bad day. Um, because I know that there are challenges throughout every single day that I experience, but I know when I'm going there and I can flip it and I've learned how to get control of my mindset and, and shift back into a spot of gratitude and generosity and really dive into that, that positive shift. Um, and once you get full control, there are no problems in the world. Right, you can when you have a mindset uh, like that, you can help so many other people. Uh, the other part of of mindset is, do you see things as a abundance or as scarcity? I've seen so many people that that look at things and they look at it from a scarcity mindset, like, oh, uh, there's only this going on or there's only that going on. 
I see everything is uh, uh, an abundance. I see that there is enough opportunity in the world for everyone. Um, and when you really dial that in, um, it can do magical things in your life personally and professionally. Um, and just the, the last thing that, that I would share is, you know, we're going through some difficult times, uh, not only in our world, but also locally as well. Um, if there's a way that you can contribute um, through generosity, whether that's time, treasures, and talents to um, people that have been impacted by the tragedy or the pandemic, uh, now more so than ever, we need people to show up with their actions and not their words. Like, uh, we don't need to read any more social media posts um, that are saying this or doing that. We need people to show up with actions because actions will lead to change. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, yeah, I was actually helping out in kind of where the businesses were destroyed. Um, well, I think it was a f- last week or two weeks ago. And it was just like crazy just to see the businesses that were destroyed during that time. But I know, yeah, it's definitely. A- it's a tragic time for so many. Um, and if we can show up through our actions and, and, and help uh, through generosity, I think we can uh, become stronger as a community together. Mm-hmm. And then Chris, how can people find you on social media? I know you also host a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we have a, a, a LinkedIn profile, which is Chris Lindahl. You can go to connectwithkl.com. Um, and you can uh, follow all of our social media accounts. Like I said, I manage all of my own uh, inbox and messages, and um, I'd love to hear from all of you. The one thing that um, that's also on that profile, which has been uh, super fun, um, is I'm also on Cameo. Um, so I've had a lot of people now that are requesting uh, me to do videos for them, whether it's a, a birthday message, an inspirational message, uh, you know, just a short, a short message, whatever it may be. Um, so people hire us, uh, hire me to, to do videos from my phone, quick 30, 60 second videos. Um, and, um, I give all of those funds received to the be generous project to continue to help, um, to continue help the communities, uh, in our areas, uh, during these difficult times. And I've also priced those videos way lower than, uh, anyone on cameo. So that I can, uh, so that I can continue to raise more awareness and more funds for the Be Generous Project. So connect with KL.com. It would be an honor to connect with everyone. And um, yeah, I just want to say, you know, thank you so much for having me. Uh, you did a phenomenal job. It's always an thank honor <laughs> to spend time with uh, with great interviewers. Yeah, thank you, Chris. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on. Also, very grateful for you as a person for what you do through the Be Generous Project and also Chris Lindahl Real Estate. So just want to really, say thank you again. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right, Chris. Have a great rest of your day. Yeah, Talk to you yeah, later. Yeah, take care. Yeah, bye-bye.